Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. It's marathon weekend here in the Twin Cities. The Twin Cities Marathon is coming up this Sunday, and I'm sure a lot of people listening are in various cities throughout the U.S. and even the world, Um, and maybe there isn't a marathon this weekend where you're located, but this is a great podcast to listen to for anyone who's going to be doing a marathon or half marathon during the fall training cycle. We're kind of going to go over the specifics of race day logistics, getting to that expo, Um, And just pacing yourself through a marathon, we're kind of going to go mile by mile through what the marathon will look like. And these are just tools that you can do during the taper to kind of get you excited and in that mindset of, you know, race week. And it's really time to celebrate and get excited for the activities to come this weekend. And I have with me today, Jason Phillippe, who has ran the Twin Cities Marathon twice. I have done the Twin Cities Marathon three times, and we're going to be talking specifically about Twin Cities, but this can also be um, a lot of tips we're going to be sharing are things that you can use for pretty much any marathon because a lot of the the things are the same, um, and it's just really great advice. So thanks for being on with me today, Jason. Yeah, thank you for having me. And in addition to talking about being, you know, racing Twin Cities, I think we'll offer a lot of good info for spectators, because um, that's something we've done every year. If we're not racing, we make sure we get out on the course and we get to various points. So we'll have a lot of information on that if you're looking forward to spectating Twin Cities on Sunday. Yes, spectating is amazing at the Twin Cities Marathon. There are a ton of supporters out there, and it can be a little tricky navigating traffic, where to spectate, where's the best places, so we're going to go over that. And I also wanted to do a little plug. If you are local and you're an athlete, or if you just want to see kind of what Run for PRs is all about, on Saturday at... Bidet Makaska, formerly known as Lake Calhoun, we will be having a shakeout run on Saturday at 9 a.m. And then on Sunday, if you want to spectate with us, kind of meet the coaches, we're going to be at mile 25 on Summit Avenue um, from about 9 a.m. till after afternoon there um, once the marathon is wrapping up. So if you want to come out, um, we'd love to see you there. So I guess we'll dive right into just the specifics of getting getting your bib because that's kind of the first thing. Like, what do you do going to the expo um, and walk through the entire weekend from there? So when do you advise going to the expo, Jason? And how does parking work? Or, or do you have any tips for navigating that? Well, the expo starts Friday at 11. It goes till 8 p.m. I think the times to really avoid would be Friday between like 3 and 6. Those are going to be the crowded times. Um, not only is it rush hour, but everyone's getting off of work and they're heading over there. Um, and parking can be a nightmare at that time. So if you can go before like 2.30 maybe on Friday, that'll work well. Um, otherwise, I would just wait until maybe 6.37 at night. I think last year it was actually kind of calm between 7 and 8. So that was a good time to go. Um, and then for Saturday, it's really all day from 10 to 7. So you could pretty much go at any time. Um, I think it's probably most busy between 12 and 2. But again... Um, you can't go wrong if you choose to go on Saturday. So as far as parking goes, 
you know, the location that the Twin Cities in, in Motion recommends parking is at the River Center ramp, but that can get a little congested, especially if you're going at one of those crowded times. So I like to just look for ramps within like a half mile radius of the XL Energy Center, so, or the River Center. So basically just kind of look at a map and look at where there's parking, um, kind of look at which direction you're coming from too. You know, we come from the west side, so we always try to park kind of west of the XL Center, so I don't even have to like mess with going around all the, all the traffic. So um, if you're coming from the north, same thing, maybe park over by Victory or somewhere like that. That's a good ramp you could take and then walk down. Um, there's Skyways as well that kind of take you over to the River Center. So that would be my advice for when to go to the Expo. Right. Yeah, I know it can be a really busy area, downtown St. Paul there, um, XL Energy Center. It's definitely not um, parking friendly, in my opinion. I mean, there's definitely parking spots, but if you're going down near rush hour um, on Friday, definitely be prepared to kind of be stalled a little bit with traffic and finding a place to park and just planning accordingly there um and like jason said i think going to the expo right when it opens if it's possible because most people have jobs and you're not gonna you know take off but if you can for some reason like go on your lunch break or you already took a half day that day or you don't work on friday i think going as soon as it opens like within the first two to three hours you're gonna have the best luck finding parking and it's just not gonna be super crowded at the expo during that time because um, I like to avoid the expos when they're really crowded because you can almost feel like it's really rushed and it's just too many people. Um, I like to kind of enjoy the expo and kind of take it all in. It just depends on what you're going for. Um, and like Jason said, going later in the evening on Friday just to pick up your bib um, is probably going to be less crowded if you go around 7 o'clock. Um, maybe go out to dinner first and then hit it up. Um, get your bib. It'll be less crowded way later in the evening. Um, and then on Saturday, there's nothing wrong with going on Saturday either. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty busy on Saturday, but I think the busier times are from right when it opens till maybe like four and then it kind of dies back down. And I know when we had the booth there last year, the last two hours on Saturday, it was like a ghost town. Like yes. no one was there. And a lot of the vendors were actually um, like closing up early. So if you want to stop at the vendors, I would suggest going a little bit before the last two hours on Saturday. But pretty much any time you go, um, you're going to be able to really take it all in. But just knowing when the crowds are going to be there during those busier times. Um, so on Saturday, if you are running the marathon, cause I know a lot of people, they're like, want to stay off their feet on Saturday. Cause the marathon is actually on a Sunday. So kind of take me through what, if you're running a marathon or maybe the TC 10, 10 mile on Sunday, how should your Saturday look? What should you be doing um, during the day on Saturday? I mean, I would say you want to get off your feet as much as possible. So if you are going to go to the expo, just limit your time there. But I would, um, you know, not be doing, not walk around for, if you're from out of town, like don't go to the Mall of America that day, you know, go on, go on the Friday to give yourself two days um, or wait till Sunday after the race or Monday. So that's my advice. Just stay off your feet um, and just try to find something to kind of keep your mind off, off running if you are nervous. Yeah, that's great advice. I think one thing that's really important to note too, we did talk about how we're having a shakeout run at Bade Makaska. Uh, formerly known as like Calhoun at 9 a.m. on Saturday. Um, when it comes to doing your shakeout run, it's really important that you do that in the morning. So we don't need to do the shakeout run. Like if you didn't do it by, 
you know, noon, maybe you, you just, just don't even do it. Um, I know sometimes people, they're like, oh no, it's seven o'clock at night. I forgot to do my shakeout run. At that point, it's not really worth it. Um, I like to do the shakeout run at the same time, around the same time the race is going to start. That way it just gets your body familiar. Okay, this is what I'm going to be running tomorrow. And it, it's just something to kind of calm the nerves in the morning. Uh, definitely not needed to do way later in the day. So like Jason said, you want to do your shakeout run in the morning. You want to go to the expo kind of towards the beginning of the day. And then winding down in the afternoon, just kind of staying off your feet, low key, doing relaxing activities just to allow your body that time to recover and just relax before the big event on Sunday. Um, and I know it can be hard with those Sunday marathons because you have to go the entire day on Saturday of basically just waiting around. Um, what are some things that you do, Jason, before a big race? Like if you just have a day where you, you're not going to work and you're just kind of like laying around, like what sort of things do you do to keep your mind off of the race or to make sure you're not getting super nervous and worked up? Uh, I guess I would probably try to get together with some friends or family just so you're engaging in social conversations and um, you're not just sitting there alone just constantly thinking about your your race so just really trying to pass the time as quickly as possible so doing that or maybe finding a hobby that you enjoy um, you know some people like to read or um, listen to podcasts or whatever it is so you can watch Netflix um, but really just trying to stay busy and know that you know what you put in the work up until this point, so nothing you really are going to do on that day is going to make or break your race. Yes, totally. Um, I like to keep my mind busy also. Going over your race plan over and over again can kind of just lead to more race nerves. And if you start thinking too much about the race the day before, um, that can also cause a lot of like anxiety and race nerves. And if you kind of want to eliminate that, we recommend, you know, hanging out with friends, doing something to get, get your mind off the race and just laying low. Don't do anything crazy. Um, and the day before the race also very important to note that you never want to try anything new the day before the race. So, um, when it comes to eating, like make sure whatever you eat the night before is going to be something you've eaten before, something that sits well with your stomach, no trying anything new. Um, if a friend recommended a place and it is only food like, like sushi or something, you normally don't eat sushi. Like maybe don't eat there, you know, the day before you want to make sure it's all food that sits well with you and you're used to eating and just maintaining like the same sort of daily schedule and daily nutrition routine that you normally would is super important too. And I know for people traveling, that can be a little harder, like finding a restaurant, but usually, you know, if you order something in a restaurant, you're pretty much safe if you've, you've done it before and it's something that sits well with you. Yep. And that goes the same too for when you're at the expo and you're buying all your pre-race fuel. Pre -pre um, you know, if you're not used to taking Morton, for example, don't buy the Morton. If you're not used to taking Cliff Shots, don't buy it. So buy what you have trained with and stick with it. Um, now's not the time to change your energy for the course. Right, totally. And I mean, you can buy the products for, for later, but we don't want to buy them and say, oh, I'm going to use this at the race yeah. tomorrow. Um, Cause there's going to be a ton of products out there. Um, or maybe you see like a new pair of shoes that you really want to try out. And I would really like steer away from trying anything that you haven't tried before for your race. Um, you want to wear clothes you've ran in before or brands that you know aren't going to chafe. Um, right. don't, don't go out and buy like a new singlet, new style you've never had and expect it not to have problems. You're kind of running a risk there. So just get excited at the expo. You can, you can purchase stuff, but try to stick with what you've 
done and what works for you um, for your marathon this time, and then you can use those newer products you can test out um, for upcoming training cycles. So we kind of talked about Saturday, you want to lay low, just don't overthink the race, but I think during the beginning of the day when you're doing the shakeout run, you're going to the expo, you want to make sure you're prepared for tomorrow, obviously, right? So you want to get your bag all ready. You want to know what you're wearing. You want to get all of that stuff ready before you kind of wind down for the evening and just kind of start to take your mind off things. So now is a great time to talk about what you should pack in your bag for race day and what you should have laid out and ready for you before you go on your race. So what is something that you've learned over the years to keep in your race bag that you check at the starting line of a race? Uh, well, when I'm laying out my stuff to go in my bag the night before, I'm always making sure I have enough clothing to, for all elements that the weather may bring. So if it's going to be hot, obviously packing sunscreen and just extra clothes, uh, shorts and t-shirts and stuff. But if it's um, if it's going to be cold, you know, you, you want to make sure you have a long sleeve, maybe a sweatshirt or jacket. You always want to have extra socks. Um, I even like extra shoes because I sweat a lot and my shoes get soaked. But if I can fit all that in there, I'm going to fit it in. And then as far as just other random things, I'm, I'm looking at bringing gloves if it's going to be like 50 degrees or cooler. Um, body glide is good to make sure you have for, for chafing, um, especially if it's, if it's going oh, to rain. I'm going to bring little Band-Aids or those nip-ease things for... For nipples so that's something you always want to make sure you have um, and then just everything that you would need for race day fuel so um, your goose gels um, I take the salt stick pills so I make sure I have a little ziploc bag with a few of those in there as well and then of course water or you can or whatever you you like to bring with in the morning wow yeah like you just going over that list I just am thinking of all of the things right now so we should almost just make this list and we'll probably post it on Instagram later this week but for me, I want to make sure. So before you're starting, standing at the start line, this is the fall, you know, it's probably going to be cold. You're going to be standing there, you're going to be cold. So I always want to get throwaway clothes. So something that I'm okay with like tossing, you know, um, I want to be wearing that all the way up until like the gun goes off because you check that bag that we talked about is usually like a clear bag with your name on it. And you check it look, probably 30 to 45 minutes before you even start running. So you're going to want something that you can kind of have on and just throw at the last minute. Maybe it's like an old sweatshirt or some people wear garbage bags. Um, I just usually use like old race shirts or those old thermal blankets from previous races. There's just a lot of things that you want to make sure that you have because the last thing you want to do is be standing out there in your singlet and shorts and 40 degrees like shaking. So I make sure I have that um, packed and that's something I toss at the last minute. Then inside the bag that I'm checking, these are all things that are going to make it to the finish line with you. So I would put in there um, clothes that you would want after you finish the race. So let's say it's going to rain or there's a chance of rain um, or just you're finishing a marathon in general. You're usually wet <laughs> at the end of these things because of the sweat, because you know you throw water on yourself at water stops. It can be a messy event. So what happens when you're done running um, is that if you're cold and you're just wet and cold and then you're standing there and you want some dry clothes. So I always put dry clothes in the bag. Um, or if you have someone that's going to be at the finish, you can always say, hey, bring this bag of dry clothes. I think that's really important because um, 
at the at the finish line of Twin Cities, it can be a while till you get to your car, right? Yeah, it can. And, you know, if you're relying on spectators, you always take that chance of them not finding you right away. So it's it's nice to have those clothes in your in your bag. Um, and you do get your finisher long sleeve shirt at least there, um, which I heard this will be the last year they're doing it that way. But so you can count on getting an extra long sleeve shirt um, when you cross the finish line. But I would still have maybe a jacket or sweatshirt in your gear bag as well as other dry clothes. Yep, totally. Because <laughs> the temperature that you're going to be running in is probably going to be in the 50s, um, which is fine for a tank top when you're running. But once you're done, I mean, that's jacket weather. You're going to look at your spectators that are spectating. They're all going to be wearing jackets. So you just want to make sure, you know, if you're planning on sticking around even to, like, watch a friend finish, you're going to want to have clothes in that bag. Um, so that we kind of covered a little bit of the clothing parts there. Uh, but also, you know, preparing for, you know, a breakfast. So if you're going there early, we want to make sure that you have enough food um, before the race. You know, sometimes people like to have a quick little snack, like one 90, 90 minutes to 60 minutes before the race starts. So maybe you're carrying that in your bag as you're, you're driving down there and you're going to eat that on the way. Um, in addition to a different breakfast that you already ate. Um, also just having water and having your electrolytes in there having all of your fuel ready. There's just a lot of components and making sure you have all of that together and collected before you kind of relax for your Saturday evening. Um, It's just nice to have it in one area and also having like your race clothes laid out. Do you always lay out your race clothes? Yeah, I do. And then I'll put my bib on the night before as well. Yeah, I always, I do that too. And I also always will have like multiple outfits. Like let's say you go to bed and it says the weather is going to be, you know, 50, but you wake up and it's like 40 and raining. You want to have like those options already available, like just in case something were to happen or the weather is a change, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, you have to lay your clothes out and take a picture and post it on social media (laughs) as flat Jason is ready to go. Otherwise people aren't going to know you're racing, right? So very important to do that. But um, definitely having those extra layers because you, you just don't know what it's going to feel like in the morning. So when I go outside in the morning, I'll, then I'll make that decision like, okay, jacket or just long sleeve or sweatshirt or whatever. And then, and then you can, you can leave the other option maybe in the car, but. Well, and another great thing to note, cause you said that you like to have multiple options is that if you're unsure on what to wear, it's always better to like dress in layers. Cause I'm pretty sure I'm, I don't know if you're the same way, but I've ditched yeah. half of my race outfit during a race before. Yeah, um, arm warmers too. I've gotten rid of those during a race if it gets to be too warm or gloves. So it's always better to overdress, I think, at the start. And then you can always get rid of it. Um, if it's something you really like and you don't want to lose it, then wait till you find someone on the course who, who knows you, a friend or family member, and just toss it at them. Right. It's always better to like dress in layers to these events than it is to you know overcommit. And I like to put my bib like on the bottom layer. So let's say I start the first mile with like a long sleeve over a tank top. My bib's going to be under the long sleeve so that I'm not committed to wearing that long sleeve. Yeah. And for guys, I would put your bib on your shorts then if you're considering taking off your, your shirt. Yeah. But it looks like the weather is going to be pretty nice this weekend up here in the Midwest at least. And I hope that it's the same for Chicago and all the other races that are going to happen throughout um, the month of October. So as far as getting to the start line of the Twin Cities Marathon, um, how, what do you suggest, Jason? So the start is in Minneapolis, for those that don't know, downtown Minneapolis, um, kind of by U.S. Bank Stadium, which is where the Vikings play. And then the finish is in downtown St. Paul. So um, the start and finish is two separate areas. If, if you want to drive and park your car in one area or the other, um, so let's say you want to park it at the finish, so it's there for you, 
then I would recommend taking the green, the green line, which is our light rail system into Minneapolis. Um, and there's instructions on how to do that on Twin Cities Marathon's website. Um, you could also do the opposite, which, which is what probably most people do is they drive downtown Minneapolis because there's more parking down there, more ramps, and they'll leave their car there and they'll run the race. And then when they're finished, um, they'll either get a ride back from a family member or friend, or they'll hop on the green line at that time. And you'll see a lot of runners who are getting on the light rail as soon as they finish the race, um, especially if it's cold or rainy, like it was a few years back. So, um, the best way though for, I would think is if, if you have this option, you, you want to get dropped off cause then you can get kind of close to the start and you just don't have to worry about parking. And, um, if you can get dropped off and figure out how you're getting picked up by somebody, that's, that's the best way to go. That, cause then you can just focus on running. Yeah, that's great advice. And also just to be aware that there's two races that are going to be going on on Sunday. It is the 10 mile and the marathon. And it's kind of weird that the 10 mile starts before the marathon does. So if you're running the marathon and you get down there, you know, an hour before the start and you see like a ton of people, that's, that's what you're seeing. Um, so don't be worried and think that you're late. It's just the, the 10 mile people, they're going to get out there pretty early in the morning. Um, and also that's just good to know for like planning purposes, uh, you're going to have double the people out there. So make sure you're allowing enough time. Like if you plan on using the porta potty and that's your thing, um, maybe plan for extra time because the lines might be a little bit longer during the time where the 10 mile people are also around. Yeah. I think the 10 mile starts at seven and the marathon's at eight. So like Victoria said, most of the time you're arriving an hour early, so you're going to get there right when you see everyone getting into their corrals for the 10 miles. So, um, but there's the Twin Cities has run really well, so there's plenty of porta potties and um, everything's spread out nicely. So I, I think you don't you don't need to arrive much more than an hour early. Um, no, you can I even think get there 45 minutes would be. Yeah, yeah, there's no need to, especially if you're getting dropped off by someone and they're just going to like drop you off right where the start is. Um, no need to get there super early. Uh, there's definitely plenty of time, but if you have to account for all the parking and everything, I know that can kind of get crazy lo with logistics. So just creating a timetable, working backwards, um, knowing when you need to get there and to accommodate for parking and all that stuff. Um, and then I guess for a lot of people who are running this, if you're local, maybe you have friends or family who are hoping to spectate. And I think we're going to kind of go into the best spectating spots and where's the easiest place to park on the course. Um, and that kind of varies a little bit based on your um, expected finish time. But we're going to talk about the key areas that we like to spectate um, and where's the easiest to find parking. So I will let Jason kind of take over there because he has spectated me on this course three times and then we always spectate every year. So we've done this about 10 times now. So where is the best places kind of starting at the beginning and working our way to the finish line out in St. Paul? Where are the best places to spectate? Yeah, and I like to go usually... Uh, there's a good spot between mile two and three. So you got to think about how am I going to get to these areas? Um, because a lot of the roads are closed. So you got to make sure you're taking the right way. So you're not going to get cut off. And if you need to get through a certain road, you need to make sure you're aware of that. So if you're, let's say you're dropping people off downtown and then you can, you can, um, get over to Hennepin Avenue near uptown and then over by Humboldt, that is where it's kind of like the North side of Lake of the Isles. There's some good spectating areas in there. Um, and the nice part about being there is you get to see a ton of people because you'll see the leaders come through and they're only, you know, 10 to 15 minutes into the race. So you'll see whoever it is that you're watching. Right. And that's really nice to be at the beginning miles. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's not fun to watch at the beginning, but that's actually one of the best places to watch because it's not as spread out. So like Jason was saying, um, at mile two, the leaders and the back of the pack people, I mean, it's only 
probably, you know, 30 minutes apart. But once you get to, you know, the later miles, like mile 25, you'd have to stand out for a couple of hours to see the entire race go through. Right. And so now, depending on like who you're there to spectate, um, that'll kind of determine how many different stops you want to make before maybe going to the finish. Because if you, let's say you have a family member who's running 3.30, but you also want to see somebody who's running four hours, well, you have to account for that. You know, if you go out to like mile 10, they're going to be quite a ways apart. Um, probably more than just 30 minutes because um, the four-hour person started later. So, uh, but if you're just really spectating one person, like I like to do often when I've watched Victoria, I try to get to as many spots on the course as I can. So what I'll do is like the second I see her cross, cross by, I'll hop in the car and I'll go to the next spot. So um, from that mile two-ish area, I'll take Hennepin Avenue down south and basically um, try to link up with uh, right around mile mile like seven, seven and a half by on the east side of Lake Harriet. So there's side streets that can take you all the way down there and then you can park. And again, you're going to see a ton of people trying to park and spectate no matter where you go on this course. So, um, but that gives me, you know, if you come through a mile two and then by the time you get to mile seven, that's like 35 minutes. So it gives you time to get down there. And that's for a fat, like someone who's running, you know, like in the seven minute pace range. So if you have someone that's running, you know, 10 minute pace, you have almost an hour to get from that mile two mark all the way yeah. to Lake, Lake, uh, Lake Harriet over there. So just making sure you kind of plan it out ahead of time and know what spots you want to hit up. Um, I think mile two and mile seven are two really key yeah. parts in the race that you can hit up no problem. And then I think it gets a little bit more complicated from there. So then, uh, once you're at Lake Harriet, kind of where do you head at that point? And does this part become more it, tricky because takes, of traffic or what happens? No, there's not really traffic. It's just slow to get there because you're going through a lot of intersections, a lot of stoplights and stuff. So um, if you're only watching one person, again, you could try to just shoot over 42nd Street straight east. Again, you'd want to look at a map. but um, And then you can go south on Cedar and bring you down to mile 11. And you can see them again by Lake Nokomis. Um, but if you're watching more than more than one one person, I would just say from mile 7, go go all the way across until you hit the river and you're going to be around mile 16. Um, and that's a really good spot because um, it's just a really pretty area there along the river. And I feel like miles, I don't know, 13 or not 13, maybe like 15 and 16, there's not a lot of spectators along that river. There are parts where it's kind of Correct. empty. Um, so I think that's a really good place for spectators to go just because, like you said, the parking, there is a little bit of side street parking and you're able to get yeah. a spot. And then once you are there, it's like, the the crowd or the race is really spread out and this is kind of the miles where people start to struggle and I think it's a really good uplifting point to see someone um because I know we've gone there in the past around mile like the 30k mark mile 18 so anywhere really a- along yeah. the river there from mile like 15 yeah. all the way to 19 like that's just brutal it's a brutal stretch um and I've gone probably to two or three different spots to watch Victoria right. before I might go to like 15 and a half and then just shoot up one of those side streets north um, and go see her again at like 18 and a half. Um, yeah. And then that's still, I still have time to get on a 94 and then head downtown to see her finish. So it's, it's kind of a fun uh, course to spectate on, but you definitely want to plan ahead and know where you're going to go and kind of look at the streets. It helps to have someone with you who can 
navigate while you're the driver. Right. So right now we're kind of talking, we're still west of um, the Mississippi River here. But once you cross, um, I think it's the Franklin Bridge. or Yeah, Franklin Bridge at mile 19. Uh, you go over the Mississippi River, and I think that's where spectating becomes a little bit more tricky. So if you do want to spectate on Summit Avenue, which is like the hot spot, like everyone goes there, that's kind of like the party place. I um, mean, you only, I think you would really only have to spectate on like one other location because you can't, you have to go to Summit so early in the day to like get a spot. Like literally yeah. it's packed with people and then just parking on summit i mean it, it just can be really difficult so if you do want to go to summit i recommend going there earlier um and just kind of skipping the rest of the you know spectating at lake yeah. Cal or lake uh lake if, harriet and all that if you're just watching the race in general and you want you kind of want to see everything including the elites i would you know you could go over to like mile two and a half see the start and then just go straight to the finish find your your spectating area somewhere between like 23 and the finish on summit there um so let's say you're still kind of trying to follow along so you can see, you know, your spouse or your brother, whoever it is, and you want to you wanna see them in another spot, kind of maybe near the finish. So from 17, this is where you do need to go take side streets all the way north up until you can take, you can hop on 55 because that's kind of a highway, but then you got to get on 94 and take that all the way into downtown St. Paul, um, especially if you're trying to pick them up at the finish. Um, but if you really just want to see them around 24, 25, you can take any of those eg exits like Lexington or uh, Dale, and then you can just go south until, until you basically run into the marathon route, which is going east on Summit. Right, and just kind of getting to that finish, I think that can be a little bit overwhelming as far as if you are driving, you're trying to pick up a family member or whatever. Uh, where do you recommend parking at the finish? Like what, what uh, advice do you have there? Um, so near the Sears, there's some good parking. I, you know, I've always, I've always kind of gone around the city. Um, so you can't really exit Kellogg because that's the runners are going to be finishing down the hill there near the cathedral. So I kind of go around and then exit. I think it's like the hospital exit, maybe fifth street. Yep. And then you kind of come in behind the Capitol and then you basically just try to park wherever that you see. And Sears ramp. usually, if you get there before eleven, yeah, uh, you can you can get a spot, which is nice because uh, it's a parking lot, and that's better than trying to find street parking and walking really far. And it's really really close to the finish line, um, but I think you do have to pay. So just make sure you have cash. Um, there's usually someone standing there taking cash. Yeah. Um, so I guess now that we've talked a little bit about spectating and kind of planning for the race, we want to talk about the course itself and actually running the race. So a little bit about the course, I guess I will ask Jason. Jason was the first one to run it in our family. And I just want to ask, like, is this an easy course? Is it a PR course? Um, I would say it's like, it's a typical average marathon course. Um, you can PR on it if you are in really good shape and you run it smart and you execute your pacing plan. But there is some challenging hills between 19 and uh, 22. So that's kind of the hard part. Um, it's not like Boston where you have four hills, but it is, there are three. And the third one is the largest, but again, it's, it's all about how you're feeling going into that and, and how well you've been feeling and following your pacing plan. Um, but again, the energy you're getting from the crowds and just the beauty of the course, that can be enough to kind of keep you staying positive and wanting to finish strong and wanting to go for that PR. Yeah, I definitely would kind of disagree with you. I think it's a very hard course. 
Um, so if you run well on it, I mean, just know like you're, you're super fit. Um, but also knowing like you trained specifically for this course, so you're going to be ready. Uh, I definitely don't think it's like an easy course by any means. Um, it's not going to be like, no, it's, it's, not, it's flat. not pancake flat. No, there are it's some not rollers, flat. but there's nothing like, holy cow, this hill's giant. No, it's not like you... a trail race or anything like no. that. It, but there's definitely, it's a true, uh, you're going to have some rollers in there, but that's totally fine. And honestly, some people perform better on hills um, because of the variation. It makes you work different muscles in your legs. Whereas if you're constantly running flat, like in Chicago, I know some right. people, they say like their legs kind of lock up after a while because there's literally no variation in the elevation at all. Right. Um, so it, there's pros and cons to both. And obviously what what goes up must come down. So there is some downhill sections in the Twin Cities Marathon also, which is nice. Um, so I guess we're just going to talk about like the first 10K here. Uh, it starts downtown um, and then it kind of like weaves its way. There's uh, there's hills in the beginning and yeah, that's what surprises the, me. When you go along near the Sculpture Garden and you come up to mile two, there's, there's a decent climb early on around mile two. Um, and then when you get to the lakes, it's, it's pretty flat. Um, there's a tiny little hill by Lake of the Isles right before you get to mile four, but it's, it's nothing big. You get a nice downhill after that. Um, and then between Calhoun and Harriet, right at 10 K, that's where there's a, another small climb. Yeah. So there are some hills in the beginning. I think the biggest advice that I can give people, cause I've done this before, um, just make sure that people are the ones passing you during this first 10 K. Like you want to go out so conservative. Um, people are going to go hard up those first couple of hills and just like, let them do that because you still have, you know, 20, 24 yeah. miles to go. Um, if people are passing you through that section, uh, that's, that's totally normal. Cause there's definitely some good uphills there. Uh, don't, don't worry about going out too slow by any means, because you want to take that first hill at mile two, really conservative. Um, just trust your pacing plan and make sure you're not going out too hard because those people that go out too hard, they're going to be, um, they're going to be hurting at the end. So just really relax, know your pacing plan and trust it. Yeah. And, um, you know, once you get to like mile seven, you're by Lake Harriet, even if you're not feeling the greatest already, um, let's say you were like, wow, there's been some more hills than I thought. Just know that it's, it's going to be flat for a while and you're going to have a lot of energy, a lot of crowd support. So use that energy just to get you to kind of calm back down and get in your, your rhythm and find your groove and just, you know, hit cruise control for those next, I don't know, maybe five to seven miles. Yeah, totally. Um, to once you hit the lakes, there's there's a ton of cheering fans. It can be really uplifting. And yeah. I always just try to look through the crowd, see if I like recognize anyone. Like, yep. right, do I know these people? Yeah, and then Lake Nokomis too. Like right around the halfway point, there's it's loud there. There's a lot of spectator support, um, but it's a really pretty area all throughout. Kind of between the two lakes, you're running near Minnehaha Parkway, so there's spots where spectating is really good. Right, and I think one thing to remember is that stretch from Lake Harriet to Lake Nokomis, um, there are some rollers in there, and they're not big at all. They're no. very small, but making sure that you, we're not pushing it. Like, if it feels a little bit harder on some of those miles or some, some stretches in there, just know that that's, like, normal. And if you feel like the pace is a little bit slower through there than you anticipated, that's totally fine. Um, that stretch is not an easy stretch by any means, and it's not flat. So you might feel like it, it looks kind of flat, or you might be – 
anticipating that stretch to be flat, but it's, there are some rollers. So just be patient there. Um, but once you kind of hit Lake Nokomis, then you get some good downhills and some flatter sections, um, along the river. Uh, so yeah, just really being cautious. And I think for this course specifically, like just going out conservative is super important. Yeah. You definitely want to feel strong when you're, you know, on the West side of the river and when you're at around 16, 17, 18, because you have the hills coming up once you've passed 19. So it's important to, you know, not all of a sudden just pick up your pace by a ton, but you slowly want to start increasing the pace, knowing that you may slow down a bit on the hills. Um, but again, it's along the river is really pretty. And that's where you'll start to see, that's where you'll start to pass people who went out too hard and who are oh, bonking. Yeah. You'll yep. see people walking there already. So, oh yeah. As soon as you hit the half, it's pretty much like, it, I, it's really exaggerated in this marathon. I feel like as soon as you hit the halfway point, you hit about mile 14, all of a sudden it looks like people are moving backwards and you're like, whoa, what happened? And it's because there's hills in the beginning. And I think people, because they know there's hills at the end, they think, oh, I'll just, you know, positive split this marathon or I'll, I'll bank time. Bank time. Right. And that's definitely not the approach you want to do for the Twin Cities Marathon. I think where you can maybe like make up for some of the lost time is between miles 15 through 19. And then again, the last like two miles of the race are a little bit downhill. Um, so just knowing that going into the race, like do not bank time, um, going around the lakes in the beginning, uh, right. that you're not, that's not a good approach for this, for this race. Definitely. And you, and so when you kind of get on the east side of the river there past 19, that's where you're going to have your first climb heading up to 20 in the Alark wall. So, um, just just know that in between the hills, it's, I mean, it's flat in between, but there's not much. It's like one after the next. So it kind of is like a mini Boston there. Yeah, I think just kind of going off of effort on those hills, um, not getting too out of breath. And then at the at the top of the hill, at the crest, once you're done, just using that time in between to really recover. Don't try to like push the pace and like make up for time. Just use it as a recovery. Yes. And then knowing that the next hill is coming, just take it one hill at a time. Um, and don't, don't get too discouraged about it. I think the best thing about the hills at the end is that a lot of people are probably slowing down. So that can kind of be a confidence booster for you. If you're passing people up those hills, uh, chances are you, you will be passing people up those hills, even if you did go out a little bit too hard. Um, it's, it's a fun section um, and just taking it one hill at a time. Yeah, definitely. And then when you get to like 20, right around 22, you, that's where you're on summit for good. Um, I personally don't, I think once you're on summit, like for the most part, it's flat compared to what you've been doing, but there are some slight inclines. You don't really notice it though, because you're just focused on like keeping good form and focus on like hydrating and, you know, taking your, some of your final goos and all that. So it's basically just a straight shot. Um, and you're going to get a ton of spectators screaming and yeah, like, screaming it's and so just... loud. You can't even hear your music. <laughs> right. So just know that once you get to like that final hill or right before 22, like, Hey, this is all going to be doable now for these last four miles. Yeah. And honestly that last hill. So the first couple, well, the one, when you go across the bridge, I consider the Franklin bridge a hill because it, it is, I mean, going over a bridge, there's like that overpass and then it goes back down. Um, but the first couple of hills you're going to see after 19 or after the bridge, they're very visual. They're steep right. climbs. Um, and then the one at mile like 21 or 22, like the really big, the really yeah. big one, it doesn't look big. So that's where I think it can be a little 
bit of a, a mind thing because you just did a bunch of hills and then you see it's more of like a very long incline this one is and so I never even really realize I'm going up it um, but it will slow you down a lot and you might look down at your watch for mile 22 and think oh my gosh why did why was this mile so slow because it's not like a really steep hill it's just very gradual over a very long time um, so just knowing that that's going to be there that's probably going to be one of your slowest miles of the race but that's totally okay because like Jason said on Summit Avenue it's going to be so much crowd support it's super exciting and then it's pretty much like flat or there is some downhill um on those miles to the finish yeah once you get to like mile 24 24 and a half start kind of staying to the left because I just feel like you can take off a decent amount of distance if you're running the tangents because um, it'll start to curve over to the left when you get by just past 25. Yeah, um, totally. I think that's good to note for like the entire course because there are some windy turns, um, even though it's like a, a point to point, it, it, there yeah. are some turns on this course and knowing how to run the tangents and just making sure you're doing everything you can to not run, you know, 27 miles, and, you know, because if you are not running the tangents, what will end up happening is you're covering more ground than you need to be. Um, so just kind of being aware of taking the shortest route on the course and uh, if possible, um, also like trying to avoid weaving in and out right. between people in those beginning miles. Cause that can obviously add on time as well. Um, what other advice do you have? Uh, well, the last mile is actually really fast. So there's a steep downhill. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're kind of looking at your watch and you're like, Hey, I need to, I need to run one of my fastest miles here to get to a PR or whatever it is, or a BQ, just, just know, like it's, it's still an option for you if, if your legs are still moving and um, just be careful going down the hill because I know people have kind of fallen or collapsed there just because it, it does feel pretty steep when you've, you're 25 and a half miles in on yeah. heavy legs. I mean, that's a, you get a pretty good decline yeah. hill there. So, I mean, if, if you're cutting it close and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, uh, you know, I need, I need a minute here. Like you can really pick it up. I know people yeah. who have just thrown down on that and hill and shaved like 45 to 60 seconds off what they would have ran. I can't think of a faster finish the last 800, probably yeah. like 600 meters of any marathon. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quick. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you are kind of done for the day, I'd just say, you know, the faster you can get down that hill, the faster you're going to be finished. So just make the most of that, that downhill finish. Um, and enjoy it because I really like the finish because I feel like you can see it and all it's like you're way up at the top of a hill and then there's a finish at the bottom yeah. of the hill and you're just like all you have to do is coast down this hill and it's right there and it's yeah. it's awesome I love it yeah definitely good view with the capital in the background too so yeah it's really it's really pretty mm -hmm. it's worth the uh the trek all the way down there and you know the Twin Cities Marathon if you're local or whatever uh it's just a great one to like tell your coworkers. you know walk in Monday morning and I, I did the Twin Cities Marathon and it's just really it's like a Minnesota race and everyone knows what it is uh, there's gonna be tons of people that you know or that know you that are spectating out there that maybe you didn't even know were coming out to support it it's just a really great event and Twin Cities in Motion does an amazing job putting on um, not only the Twin Cities Marathon but all of their races uh, one of the best organizations for races in in Minnesota um, it's a great course so I highly recommend it even though you know there are some some tougher hills there it's it's not um, an impossible course by any means and it, it can be fast um, if you run it correctly and if you if you've been training correctly um, but once you kind of hit that finish line uh, you know all, all the feels kind of happen and you can finally celebrate and sometimes I think when we finish the marathon like all the things that we learned in training kind of go out the window like we're just like 
put a beer in my hand now. And you just want to be done. You want to lay down. Like you want to just be like a dead bug. Um, but I think there are some really important recovery tips when it comes to marathons. And I guess I will ask Jason, like, what are some things that you've maybe seen me do or you've done after a marathon that maybe weren't so smart and people can like learn from your mistakes? Uh, well, some things I've seen you do is not eat for quite some time. So I don't know how you can go that long without eating, but you know, if you feel a bit sick or nauseous, that's understandable. But just forcing yourself to maybe sip on... They have, like, chicken broth or soup when you cross yeah. the line. So that's good to get get some sodium back in. Um, well, I think know. that's really tough because a lot of people, at least from what I hear, coaching and everything, people do get really nauseous after you finish. And mm-hmm. I think the longer that you wait... Because, like you said, I've gone a long time without eating after a race because you feel nauseous and you think it's going to, like, go away. Right. Um, the nausea doesn't go away. Right. And so usually, you, like, you have to just start that digestion process and tell your body, hey, I'm not trying to kill you here. Like, here's some food. Like, we're, we're done now because it can kind of be really shocking for your body. And I think um, not putting fuel in your body right away after, it, it keeps your body in that alarmed state and it prevents you from being able to, like, work out that nausea and kind of, like, let your body calm down and start the recovery process because if you're not putting yeah. the fuel in your body right away, your body thinks it's still in a state of stress. Um, and I've, I've made that mistake where I'm like, oh, I'm still nauseous. And I used to do that all the time. I'd be like, oh, I don't feel good. I don't feel like eating yet. And then it would be, you know, 6 o'clock at night, and I would feel, like, very, very sick. And it's just, like, there's other races where right. I finish and you say, eat this now. And I feel like, oh, the, the thought of eating anything is terrible. Right. But within an hour I feel amazing because I kick-started that process I let my body know hey it's okay it's time to recover so eating right away like there is a reason why yeah. they have the food there and you know out of all the things that they have there's got to be at least one thing that like is okay that is something you can stomach if you hate half the stuff that's fine grab one thing like Maybe it's chips. Maybe it's chicken broth, like you said. Like, what's your favorite thing at the finish line? Uh, the chocolate milk, for sure. I mean, because when you you finish, you don't really want water or Gatorade because that's what you've been drinking on the course, right? You mm. want something different that, that just is going to sound more refreshing. So chocolate milk's good or, yeah. um, you know, even like anything. Really. I love the chips. I don't know why. They just... Chips. The it's like the only thing yeah. that I even sounds appealing to me. So whatever it is that sounds appealing to you, um, just just use it, use it, drink it, make sure you're staying hydrated, kickstart that recovery process. Um, yeah, I try to eat something like within that first like 10 minutes. And then uh, like, if you're not feeling that good, try to wait 30 to, to an hour and then try again. But yep, definitely get something in right away. Totally. Yeah, um, that's really important. Um, and then like, should you stick around? Like, let's say you have a friend who's finishing or like, let's say you're just like super pumped. Cause like you just finished yeah. a marathon. Like what is your advice for sticking around? I, how do you make sure that you recover during think that it time? It really just depends on how you're feeling and how the weather is. So, like if it, if you're not too cold and stuff and you're prepared, you brought enough clothes that you can mm-hmm. change into, you know, get your, get your medal, get your shirt, walk over, get your gear bag. Um, and then exit kind of the athlete's village area. And then if you want to go see the, the finish and you're you're able to walk I think it's okay but I think just be yeah because walking at least I think you'll see a lot of people who fin- you might see some people who finish and they're walking totally fine it that's the weirdest part they didn't race it. no they- I mean aren't some people it's just they walk yeah. totally normal and and you know that they raced it and I'm like how are you walking normal yeah it's true um it's I- just it's weird because I've done marathons where I've raced them and I, I can barely walk or step up on a curb. Yep. Like, it, it kills. So I just want to get off my feet right away. So yeah. get me back to the car. But if I just kind of ran for fun, I, I definitely can 
move around a bit better. Walk a little better, but I think most people still kind of like limp around. But if this is like your first marathon, just going to go in with the expectation that afterwards, um, like walking 400 meters is going to really be challenging. It's like really, I don't even know how to explain it. It, It's almost... I don't, yeah. I don't even know, like, your legs don't really work as well. So just know that, like, you're going to be probably walking at, like, mm-hmm. one mile per hour. Like, it's it's slow gone. And, and it's – I kind of think it's funny to watch other people who run because, like, I've been there. So I, I know, like, after after the race, like, how that feels and how weird it is to, like, have your legs just not really work as well. Um, but I would also avoid something that is really hard for me because sometimes, you know, you feel nauseous, you feel sick to your stomach when you finish, um, is you want to sit down or lay down. And that's, I mean, obviously, like, if you feel that sick, like, feel free to do that. But I would try not to sit down right away because getting up (laughs) from sitting down is, like, the hardest thing you will ever do. And you you probably will need assistance if you lay down, like... um, Yeah, try to wait till you get to either the car to sit down or, you know, um, till you get home to lay down, but... right. Yeah, it's it. So if you if your legs are feeling weird and you've never done a marathon before, or let's just say you have and you never felt like that, it it can be normal to um, be that sore right after. Um, and then even for like a couple days after the race, it, it can be really a weird feeling in your legs. And you might say, "Well, this never happened in training." And the reason is because you kind of like gave a draw, um, and your legs are really just like torn up from. Um, the race but you'll definitely you'll be walking around fine in a couple of days and and who knows like you might be one of those unicorn people who finish and they just kind of like walk away like <laughs> it's nothing um but yeah and, and then in terms of like wearing your race medal and your race shirt like do you do that like after the race or what do you advise I mean I'll I might wear it right after just to just so I don't lose it you know just to put it on but um, I don't really wear it like out that night or anything, unless, unless it's like a, a different marathon, like maybe Grandma's or Boston where mm. you're, you're going out and there's a, you know, it's on a Saturday night. So obviously you can go out, although Boston's on a Monday, but you're usually staying the night till the next day anyways. But Twin Cities, a lot of times it's, it's a work day the next day. So, um, That's brutal. you just want to get home and, and yeah. What's your advice for like navigating the work day <clears throat> after a marathon? Because you were a teacher, so he went from, you know, running the marathon, then the next day, gym teacher, so think, he had I to, like, teach I think getting up, gym. like, every hour and just walking is actually good. It keeps you blood from getting flow. stiff, gets the blood flowing, but, yeah, you're not going to, like, go on long walks, maybe. No, um, that would be a mistake. you're going to move a lot slower, so you got to allow yourself extra time to get to places. Yep. Yeah, I think going on, like, short walks. So, like, instead of going home and just, like, sitting for, you know, four hours straight, what are you saying is, like, get up to, like go to the bathroom like do like little walks like that like just around your house um but mainly like staying off your feet but like getting the blood flowing in other ways so I don't know if you have like those rapid recovery boots like if anyone listening has those that's amazing because we don't have those but those can help with uh, blood flow circulation um taking a nice warm bath because that also anything that's going to help with like the blood flow um, aiding in that is great. Theragun, or if you have like access to a gym membership and you want to go in the sauna, steam room, like that stuff is all really good to do Sunday afternoon, um, hot tub, like any of that stuff. Just making sure you're staying hydrated though. Cause if you're going in those, those warmer things or like taking a hot bath, um, making sure you're getting enough water cause the marathon will really dehydrate you. Um, so make sure you're, you're thinking of all those things. And I like to put on the compression socks too. Yeah. Um, and then as far as like massages go, cause when you're really sore like that, like how long do you, do you recommend waiting to like get a massage? 
Um, I mean, it's nice to have like your spouse or family member massage you later that day, but g- gently, just because it right. feels good. But as far as like deep tissue, yeah, probably like at least three days, just because you're gonna be. You're so sore. Yeah. I I know. Like sometimes it just like touching my leg will like be like oh Maybe my gosh, like you'll get like a cramp almost. Yeah. Like if someone massages too hard, which is. I don't know, really weird. Um, but yeah, I would wait at least five days pro- or yeah. four days, you know, just to be safe. Unless you're used to getting them all the time, then that's a different story. But basically, regardless of like how you finish or how the race goes, um, try not to be too hard on yourself because, you know, I think the Twin Cities Marathon did a challenge a couple of years ago where they tried to have like mile 22 be like your fastest mile or something. And they were like giving away free shoes to anyone who did. And I really, I think, like, less than 100 people or 200 people. Like, well, they could end up being more than what they thought. But right. what was it, the, the Brooks Challenge where you yeah, ran Brooks 22 faster than your average pace? Faster than your average pace. For the whole course. So. Which doesn't sound like it would be that hard. Unless you're a marathoner, then you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's really hard. strategically put it there because it's right after the hills, too. Right. So. But, like, no one could do it, pretty much. So you get, like, 8,000 people running this race. You only get a couple hundred who actually were able to do I mean, that challenge. But the thing is, is, it just goes to show you that most marathons, this isn't what people intend to happen, but most marathons end up being a positive split. So that means your second half way slower than the first half. And that's just kind of how it goes. And um, you don't train for a positive split. You don't train so that you you know have a slower second half but the marathon is a very tough race and even if you go in with the best intentions and you're in the best shape of your life um there's a lot of uncontrollables that can happen you know like the sun could come out it's beating on you uh you you might just it might be an off day um you know if you're a girl maybe you got like your period the day of or something I mean anything can happen and you just want to make sure you're you're being kind to yourself and and really um respecting like what it is that you just did for the last four months because it's all about like the training and we don't sign up for Twin Cities Marathon or any of these marathons so that we can get like this outcome um all of us runners like we're just doing it for the process and because we love running and we, we like the process and it's enjoyable. And that's why we keep, you know, signing up for races. And it's, it's great to have goals, but making sure that those goals aren't like oversetting um, like your love of the sport. And I think that can be kind of tough with like Strava and social media now. Um, and I know Jason's been a runner for a long time and he ran Twin Cities before like garments were even a thing so I guess he could maybe speak to that a little bit more and like feeling pressure um like did you feel as much of a pressure to run certain times like back before all that social media or was it a little bit different well because I was a a runner in college and everything you know the kind of the gold standard was you should be able to break three hours in the marathon um so aggressive that was kind of the pressure that you put on yourself um especially because then you're you have that obviously a good BQ cushion because I think the BQ time back then 305. was 305 but um so I mean I did I mean I was I only did one long run before Twin Cities like really long uh, run. Yeah, yeah one really long run like over 15 so um the year before I was supposed to run Twin Cities I actually got hurt two weeks before so I didn't get to do it I was in better shape that year but then the next year I ran 258 but I was probably on pace for a 250 so I hit the wall like most people do in their first marathon and said I was never going to do one again and then you know, a couple of days later, you're thinking about your next one, but, um, it's, it's a great experience. It's a great course. I really want to hear from those of you who are running it for the first time. So please share your story on the run for PR's athlete page, or just let us know, email us. 
because we just want to hear how it went. Yeah, totally. And we'll be out there cheering. And I think it's a great course to do. If you live in Minnesota, you got to do the Twin Cities Marathon at some point. Um, it's just like one of those iconic races and, and running on the streets that you train in or sometimes you've, you've raced in, I think. It's just really um, like iconic of the whole training cycle because, you know, if things are kind of getting hard there during the race, I always just think about other races or other runs I had um, in the city and just how you're celebrating all of those accomplishments on the road to getting there. So just make sure you're you're being kind to yourself and just thinking about uh, the big picture and making sure uh, you're enjoying the race because, you know, you're not always going to have the day where all the stars align. I mean, that's what we hope for and we, we practice for. But if uh, if it's a tough day out there, like, know that you're not alone. And uh, we hope that you have the best day, though. Best of luck to those of you running Twin Cities. Yeah, so let us know how it goes. And if you want to chat more or maybe you're – you want a pacing plan or something last minute, feel free to fill out the form on our website, www.run4, the number four, prs.co. Um, and we can chat about your background and maybe you want to work with us in future training cycles or you're just curious about our offerings. We definitely can chat with you. Um, no, no obligations there. So hope that you have a great weekend and best of luck to everyone racing.